Hello, everybody, and good morning. It is November 22nd, 2021. Of course, you are listening to Equity. This is our show where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines, digging into every aspect of the startup business world. Hi, my name is Alex, and this is Thanksgiving week, and that means that the U.S. will be mostly off in the back half of this week. Or in other words, the news in the technology world should slow down. Now, of course, the U.S. is not the entire technology world. We all know that, but certainly it's one of the leading markets. And that means that if we're going to be sleeping and mostly eating our faces off, well, then things should get a little bit quieter in the broader tech world for a couple of days. Now, what's interesting is we have a couple of weeks in December after Thanksgiving and before the end of the year slowdown. And I'm very curious to see how busy those two weeks are going to be. Given historical precedent, I'm kind of expecting them to be absolutely batshit crazy. But you know what? Hope springs eternal. Maybe people will just calm down, not announce anything, and we can have a nice, relaxed December of just resting and sleeping and getting ready for 2022. It's not going to happen, but you know, one can dream. Anyways, let's take a look around the world today. Ah, this morning, the stock market. Yes, Asian stocks were mixed. European stocks were down a fraction. The US stock market is set to rise this morning, at least according to current pre-market trading data. And if you're more into cryptos than you are into equities, well, you're off a couple points this morning and off around 10 to 12% in the last week. But certainly cryptos have done quite well recently, so a haircut is not a death penalty. Anyway, speaking about things going down, that's our first topic. And yes, speaking about things going down, we are talking about the value of Paytm and its stock price, which has declined both on its first day of trading last Thursday and today, 27% off in its first day and another 13% this trading session. That's really, really not good. By the way, if you're curious, it's fine if your IPO goes up or down a couple of points. You know, what can you do? Uh, but you don't want to go up too high. You don't want to give away value. And you really don't want to see your value decline so sharply. Ugh, Paytm is having a tough day. So what's going on? Well, the company has some good data out today describing its GMV growth and other kind of performance metrics that show that, yes, since its last fiscal year, Paytm has posted growth. But if you go back into its numbers, you'll see that its revenues have actually declined in recent years. And sure, that is kind of competing against falling unprofitability or perhaps rising profitability. But the company still doesn't have the growth story you might have expected from such a well-known, well-backed, and I would say beloved fintech a little bit of a surprise. But digging through the numbers this morning, looking at the valuation multiples, I'm not blown away that the company's having a hard time going public. And that means that when we think about Paytm, we don't need to worry about perhaps going public in the Indian market or that sort of thing. Instead, it just kind of looks like the company was mispriced by its backers when it did go public. It's tough for them, tough for people who bought into the company, but it certainly has a lot of cash now and it can try to keep growing. Also out in big tech land today, Facebook is delaying the rollout of end-to-end -end encryption for certain products until 2023. A little bit of a bummer here, but you know Zuckerberg, when he gave a timeline originally for this, it wasn't really firm. The company kind of said that it would see a rollout in 2022 for end-to-end -end encryption across more Facebook products. But now the tech giant is saying that it won't get this done until, quote, sometime the following year. According to TechCrunch's Natasha Lomas, who is brilliant on the privacy and government regulation beat, this sounds distinctly like a can being kicked down the road. Yes, it has all the tinnish rattle of disappointment. Now, what are we seeing here? Well, it is the usual, I would say, arguments regarding safety. You know, we're still figuring out if consumers can have access to fully encrypted comms. The answer does appear to be a long-term yes, which is encouraging, but there seems to be an, an infinite number of setbacks along the way. The issue is that governments would like consumers to have privacy, except for when the governments don't want that user in particular to have privacy. 
And if you have an encrypted system, you can't have a backdoor into it because then it's not secure and governments keep wanting to have that magical realism world come to life. It's not going to happen. <sighs> Regardless, Facebook is asking for more and more and more of our lives. It doesn't just want to have your social life and your photo album and your connections to people across the world thanks to WhatsApp. It wants a lot of you. Facebook has big plans. Whether you like that or not, it's fair to say Facebook is not unambitious. But I'll just say this, if Facebook wants me to come back into its broader ecosystem, I don't have a Facebook account, I only have a burner Instagram account, I don't have a WhatsApp, I would just say that end-to-end uh, -end encryption would be a great place to start. Let me know that I'm private at least, and then I might dip my toes into your metaverse. And finally today in the big technology section, a small little item, but one that I think does really matter. ByteDance is giving up on EdTech in India. According to our own Manish Singh, ByteDance is shutting down its edtech business in India. The company informed the local team on Monday, according to two sources directly familiar with the matter. So a couple of things to think about here. One, Indian edtech is a big market. Is it getting so competitive that even players like ByteDance can't really stand up to domestic competitors? Maybe. Are we seeing further decoupling of India and China's economies and their broader technology scenes? Probably. Because keep in mind that ByteDance's TikTok product, that thing that you probably use more often than you want to admit to your friends or a partner, was banned in India last year. And the Chinese and Indian governments have been um, less than pleased with each other in the last couple of years. There's some border disputes. There's some technology disputes. There's a lot there to talk about. But I was surprised. ByteDance is a company that has big ambitions and certainly global reach. And with the edtech market in China rapidly changing to be less profit-oriented, you might say. You might think that its Indian edtech bet was a bit of a hedge, and now it won't be. Now time for the good stuff. It is time to talk about startups, and we have some good ones for you this morning. I'm actually pretty much hyped about all three of these. Okay, we're going to start with Berlin-based Gina.ai, that is J-I-N-A.ai, which TechCrunch says is a, quote, open-source startup that uses neural search to help its users find information in their unstructured data, you know, things like videos and images, Today, the company announced that it has raised a $30 million Series A, and that was led by Canaan Partners. That is according to our own Frederick Lardenois here at TechCrunch, one of my oldest friends at the blog, and uh, a fine human with a very good head of hair, in fact. Anyways, the idea here, Frederick writes, is to use deep learning neural networks to go beyond traditional keyword-based search tools. Now, keyword search has been around for a thousand years, I think now, maybe even 2,000 years. Pretty sure it was around at the time of Christ. Regardless, this is a different type of search, one that is, I would say, more advanced, more flexible, and doesn't depend on such explicit kind of input from the user. Very, very cool. This kind of tech makes me very hype about the future, like just excited. Smarter computers everywhere, better image recognition. What can we do with that? Probably quite a lot, frankly. Anyways, I hope Gina.ai's model works out. $30 million, of course, is quite a lot of money for a Series A. Not in 2021, but like two years ago, that would have been a big Series A. Now, one last thing about this company. It does have an open source software core, or OSS core. And what that means is a chunk of its code is available in the public market for free. You can download it. You can change it. You can fork it. You can do whatever you want with it. And you might think, wow, that's crazy. Why would you give away your code for free? Well, OSS companies or startups that have an OSS core to them are raising lots of money and doing rather well. It does appear that people like to be able to look at the code that they're going to be using if it's going to be kind of an on-demand, bolt-on, helpy servicey thingy. And that's my technical phrasing for this. In the old days, you used to have a SaaS model, closed proprietary code. Today, I would say the pricing is moving more and more towards on-demand and, of course, more towards an open-source core. Not every company will meet those particular metrics, but it does seem to be a trend worth keeping an eye on. 
Essentially, SaaS is passe, on demand is hot, and having all the code locked up in your own file cabinet, well, it's a little 2010, isn't it? And next up, we have Deliver. Deliver, spelled with two R's. It's like Deliver with an extra R. What does it do? Well, according to our own Christine Hall here at TechCrunch, it provides fulfillment services to e-commerce merchants on marketplace platforms like Shopify, Walmart, Amazon, eBay, and Target, using predictive analytics to anticipate demand for products based on variables, including demographics and geography, and then it puts items close to where there will be demand. Okay, pretty cool. I dig it. It just raised a $250 million Series E, valuing it at $2 billion, and of course, that was led by Tiger. You guessed it. So a quarter billion for 12.5% delusion, not bad. We would love some more growth metrics, though. The company, well, it dropped a couple of numbers, but nothing really that we're excited about. I'll just say this. If you're a unicorn, you're no longer a startup. That's why we have a different word for it. And you should be a little bit more loose with the data. Instead, what we have from Deliverer is that its merchant count is up 90% in the last year, which is pretty meaningless. We don't know the size of those individual merchants and that the company is, quote, poised to power over two and a half billion of GMV by the end of this year. Up from what? How fast is that growing? Faster than H2? Faster than H1? Is it good on a year over year basis? What are the gross margins like? We don't know. Because it's now normal for companies to stay private until they're worth tens of billions of dollars. And that means that we don't know Jack Diddley really until they go public. So I'm sure we'll figure out how Deliver is doing in seven years from now. Anyways, finally, French startup Lydia is adding equity and crypto trading to its platform, showing again that once a fintech company acquires more users, it will go super horizontal as getting users to more of its products is a great way to improve economics and grow revenue without having to put more capital into customer acquisition. Lydia is a company I've heard about before. It's one of the, I would say, better known French startups outside of France itself. And I'll just say this, according to our own Romain Dillett, it has five and a half million users and recently added savings accounts. So it is possible to build a country-specific super app, just as it is possible to build unicorns in France. Now, closing out, this weekend I was thinking about DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations. And my, my question was, are people in the crypto world really stoked about DAOs because they already hold all the crypto wealth and so they'll essentially just get to run the DAOs? I was thinking about voting power because it does appear that DAOs can be set up so that voting power is tied to coin ownership or token ownership. And this makes DAOs a little bit less like the corporations of the future that are run by the masses and a little bit more like oligarchies, right? I mean, if it's just based on who's got money, it's a kleptocracy. I don't know. Surely there are exceptions to this, you know, and there are other ways to get clout at a DAO by working there and so forth, but eh, it just didn't really have the, uh, the revolutionary aspect that I look for in crypto. Now, a fair rebuttal to my little complaint here is that the stock market is similar. You get votes with shares and most companies aren't really in any danger of a shareholder revolt. And most folks really just buy stocks for the upside, not for voting power. So, you know, why come down on crypto? Well, I'll just say this. If DAOs have just created corporations again, but with worse taxes, I mean, what's the benefit of this? You know, ooh, people that are rich made more money. Congratulations. Innovation. I suppose that what I'm asking is when will the crypto world manage to lever its innovations away from tying financial wealth to user worth? That will be revolutionary. Viva. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our show. We are out of time on this fine, fine Monday morning. We do hope that you are well, that you have lots of hot coffee, you will have ice cream later, and that everyone around you is in a good mood and ready for a nice, slow week. Knock on wood. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter, where we tweet under the handle EquityPod. I also tweet under the handle at Alex. We're back Wednesday morning. Hugs. Bye. <laughs>